If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read that text to you this morning, and then I want to share with you a message that I've entitled, Doing All That I Can, or Am I? Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is talking about the great work that is before us, the responsibility for that work. So if you don't mind, I know you've been up and down today, but if you don't mind, let's stand as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, where we want to focus our attention this morning. And it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts before the opening of the word of the Lord, we pray that, Father, that you would open our hearts to your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be evident in this place today to speak unto us, to challenge us. For, Lord, we know that there is work to be done while there is yet time to do it. And Lord, we know that, Father, that there is coming a time when the Lord will uh, call it to a close and the opportunities will be no more. So, Father, help us to do all that we can while we can. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my word, but your word speaks to the heart of your people. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use this time to convict and to draw us to that place of commitment today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Many of you may have watched this movie, which I'm going to talk about for my opening. Maybe you have it. Maybe this will inspire you to go and watch it. In the movie Schindler's List, one of the most moving scenes is near the end of the three-hour drama. Oscar Schindler had invested his energy and his fortune into saving the lives of hundreds of Jews who would have otherwise been killed in Hitler's Holocaust. Because the war is at its end, the Jews uh, he saved will become free men and women, while Schindler realizes that he will become a fugitive. He walks to his car with his Jewish friend. The others are around them. Schindler begins to cry. He looks at his watch, and he knows that if he had only sold that watch, he could have saved another life. He looks at his car, and he knows that he could have exchanged it for additional lives. He says to his friends, I could have done more. He could have simply said, I did all that I could. But he chose to say, I could have done more. Oscar, Oscar Schindler knew that he could have done more to save the Jews from perishing in those death camps. I wonder what you and I will say when we stand before Jesus 
in the midst of heaven looking around and seeing people that we knew here on earth that are not there, will we have said we did all that we could? Or will we have said, I could have done more? Or maybe we'll say, I should have done more. I want to challenge you today that whatever you're doing, whatever we're doing, there is more to do. The work is great, the souls are many, and the destination is for eternity. And we need to make sure that we are doing all that we can so that we are reaching all that we can for the cause of Christ. Let's be honest with ourselves. You and I today sitting here, we all could say, I could do more. I should do more. I hope that we won't have to say when we stand before the Lord, I should have done more. You and I can do more to reach our neighbors for Christ. We can do more to reach those that we meet from perishing into hell's fire. The thing is that Jesus did all that he could. Jesus went through the towns, it says here in verse 35, he went through the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news and the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness that he came to. But it was that when he saw the crowds and the multitudes that, of people who needed to be saved eternally from eternal's death, that he himself was moved with compassion. When you and I see the people as Jesus saw the crowds and as Oscar Schindler saw the Jews in Nazi Germany, it will, it better, move us to action. Christ's followers have been commanded. It's not a suggestion. The great commandment is that we go into all the worlds and preach the gospel unto all the people of every tongue, of every language. But you say, well, preacher, I, I'm not a world traveler. You know what? The great news is you don't have to be a world traveler. The world has come to America. And we have an opportunity right in our own neighborhoods to reach the world with the gospel. Many of us have opportunities to reach people that, that can reach people around the world if we would only reach them. I hope that you will hear me today for I want this sermon to underscore that command that we're to go, that we're to do, that we're to talk, that we're to live out our lives in such a way that Christ will be exemplified in and through us. The sermon is simply to underscore and to remind us that the field is great and our responsibility is greater. The harvest is at hand and we must be reaching people for Christ. If we are to see lives changed, if we're to see people won to Christ, we need to see the harvest as Jesus saw the harvest, as a spiritual harvest of lost people dying and facing a Christless eternity. But then how did Jesus see the people? I want to share with you five things that I see in this text that Jesus saw when he looked at the people and how it moved his heart to do something about it. There's a song that is sung, uh, you know, of a guy saying, 
Lord, I don't understand why this is going on, and I don't understand why you're not doing something about this. And Lord, I don't know why you ain't, ain't over here doing this. And, and, and his response in the song is, God says to him, I did. I created you. And that's exactly what God has done. He has created each and every one of us, but not only has he created us, but those of you that are sitting here, it's my heart that you have been saved by that grace. And if you've been saved by that grace, you are commanded by that grace to go out and to share the gospel with others so that what you have received from the love of God that they too can receive. But how did Jesus see the harvest? First of all, he saw the harvest as plentiful. If you look at what he says here in verse 37, Then saith he, Jesus, unto the disciples, he speaks unto us today. The harvest truly is plenteous. That's a big word. It's a great word because it simply means that the world is big. The crowds are huge. The number of spiritually lost people and dying people is overwhelming. It's amazing. When you begin to do a little research on the numbers as I did, in Jesus' day, they say the, the population of the world was approximately about 150 million people at that time. Today's world population, did you know that it grows by 150 million every two years? The world's population has now exceeded over 7 billion people. The population of the United States, as I looked it up this week, is over 300 million people, and, and that number is growing exponentially. Let me bring it a little closer to home for those of you that live here in Ash County. We have approximately 27,000 residents of Ash County. And out of that 27,000 residents of Ash County, it has been calculated that only about 40% of them go to church anywhere on any given Sunday. And that means that there are 60% of the population of Ash County not attending a church anywhere. Now my math's not real good, but I know one thing. I know that 60% is higher than 40%, and that means that we have a lot of work to do. And we have a lot of opportunity to do that work. I look at it and I see the numbers are great and I know that, that we can't reach 300 million people. We can't reach over 7 billion people. But can we reach our neighbor? Can we reach the one that lives next to us? Can we reach the ones that we work around? Can we reach somebody? Yes, we can. We can make a difference. Don't look at the vastness of the numbers, but look at it as an opportunity, not as something frightening that says, it's just too grand, it's too big. But look at it as, it doesn't matter where I go, there is an opportunity awaiting me. I have no place that I can go in this world where I won't bump into somebody that needs to hear about Jesus. You see, Jesus saw the people in such a way that he said there are many of them, many that need him. But he also saw the harvest as precious. It wasn't just huge, it wasn't plenteous only. Not only was the harvest of people vast as Jesus looked upon it, but those people brought tears to his eyes. 
Why? Because to Jesus, all people are precious. All people then and all people now matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, Jesus loves people. He wouldn't have went to the cross and died had He not loved people. I like to say that, how much does Jesus love you? Well, I don't know, but He reached out His arms and He died on a cross for me. That's how much He loved me. That's how much He loves you. When He saw the crowds... The Bible says in verse 20, or 36 that he had compassion upon them. The word that is used for the word compassion is the strongest word for what we might consider pity in the Greek language. It describes the love that moves a person to the depths of, uh, of their being. It's a type of love that moves people to cry for others as Oscar Schindler cried for the Jews. As I heard this morning, right here at this very altar, as people were praying for this service this morning, I heard the tears and it just reminded me that that's what we as God's people need to be doing, is we need to be crying tears for the lostness, and even for the church, that they might understand the lostness that lives all around them. We need to be moved with compassion so that our eyes are no longer dry and, 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 and dreary, but wet with tears of compassion. It is a love that moves people beyond the sentimental feelings to a heartfelt action. I read about a man this week, a, a story of a, a man who had an infant son who became critically ill. He had a brush with the near-death experience as a, as a newborn. The man's heart, of course, was broken as he thought of his son dying. As his son's fragile body lay in a hospital bed, he asked in his heart, what would I regret most if my son were to die? As he pondered that question, the answer became crystal clear. I would regret, he said, that my son never knew how much I loved him. Jesus' heart grieves that way for us, for every soul. God grieves because of those who die without knowing Christ's love never knowing how much that He loved them, how much He paid for their sin, how much He gave of Himself so that they could have eternal life. And yet, they didn't ever receive, didn't hear, because somebody forgot to go tell them. Somebody thought it was somebody else's job. We all know that story. Ends up being nobody's job. And it never gets done. We need to be moved with compassion like Jesus was moved with compassion when we see the lostness of those around us. It could be our peers, it could be our co-workers, it could be a family member. We need to be moved with compassion that breaks our heart so that we will, will pray earnestly for those that are lost and need salvation. Because God says every soul is precious. 
But he also saw the harvest as being perplexed. You know, the Bible tells us here in verse 36, and Jesus describes the crowd as being fainted, harassed, and helpless, in other words. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Harassed simply meant that they were defeated by life. How many of you have ever come to that place where you thought life was just kicking your tail? You wondered, Lord, I thought we were supposed to be the victors. We will be. We may not be, but we will be. No, life has never been promised that we will have a, a, a smooth ride. Howard Jones used to tell me all the time, he'd come into my office and we'd be talking, and he'd say, we'd be talking about something going on or whatever in the world, and Howard would remind me and say, Preacher, God never said that we'd have a smooth ride, just a safe landing. I said, you're right, Howard. This old life is going to kick us when we're down. It's going to beat us when we're up. It's going to oppress us. It's going to struggle us. But listen, we're living in a time when the world around us, when people are being oppressed in so many different ways, they're distressed. And what they need is Jesus. He offers the only hope for a distressed and beaten down people. The toils and struggles had punctured them and, and punched them in the stomach so many times that they just didn't even think they could get their breath. They seemed to be down for the final count, ready to quit. Helpless meant that they were broken and without purpose. They were wandering aimlessly. People without hope seem to wander uh, aimlessly in this world. They're living without meaning and they have no reason for living. No wonder our suicide rate is, is, is skyrocketing. People don't think that there's any reason to live anymore. I tell you, Jesus gives us a reason to get up in the morning. Jesus gives us a reason to live life in front of them. What they need is Jesus. They don't need some self-help book. They don't need a Dr. Phil philosophy. What they need is a good dose of Jesus and His salvation. What our world needs that is perplexed and, and, and bewildered and fainted and harassed and helpless and now wandering as sheep, boy, he, he says they're like sheep. Now, um, I, you, you got to know sheep. Sheep are dumb. They're dumb. They'll follow anything. They kind of put their head down, and if they hear a noise ahead, they just follow it. And, and, and there can come a cliff, and they'll walk right out the cliff thinking, it's okay, that guy ahead of me did it. <laughs> I used to tell my kids when they were young, they said, Dad, I want to go do this. And I, I said, no, but, but my friends are doing it. I said, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? I should never have asked my son that. Sometimes they're like sheep. They're dumb. Okay? They just follow blindly. Okay? So he says they're like sheep following along. But listen to those three thoughts. Let me just remind you of what they were. Harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. No one there to lead them. 
I don't know about you, but that's a fitting description of our society today. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I think, had it right when he said so long ago, people are living lives of quiet desperation. Boy, that seems to be the case today. They're desperate for meaning in their life. They're desperate for purpose. They're distraught by the world's lies, and they're heading for destruction, and they don't even know it. They're walking down a path that Jesus describes as the broad way. And Jesus says, what we need to understand about the Broadway, it, it seems like a good way because, you know, we got all this room to do what we want to do, to wander where we want to wander, to go where we want to go. But the end is a cliff of destruction. And we blindly walk off the end. And then Jesus saw the, the, the harvest as perishing. It's perishing. On another occasion, Jesus using a similar analogy in John chapter 4, in verse 35, told his disciples to lift up their eyes and look on the fields, for they were white already to harvest. Now, if you're a city folk, you're going to go, I don't understand that. And a matter of fact, most country folks don't know it. I grew up farming. However, one thing we never grew was wheat. But I knew a little bit about it. And I, I, I still know a little bit about how it works and, and, and when it needs to be harvested and, and what happens if it doesn't. So I want to just kind of give you a, an idea of what that means and what that looks like. You see, when it comes to wheat... Wheat, as it grows, you know exactly when it is ripe for the harvest, when it starts glistening golden brown in the sun. Now, if the farmer's equipment breaks down and he can't get to the field within a certain amount of time, what happens is that wheat begins to turn colors. It begins to become dull and almost a white-like condition and then what happens is the wheat just kind of dies off and falls to the ground and it is no good anymore. Jesus uses that analogy. He says, look my friends, look at the fields. They're not just coming into being ready. They're not just ready. They're about gone. If we don't do something now, that's going to be too late later. Church, I'm telling you, if we don't do something in America now, it's going to be too late later. Now, I didn't pick the music that we sang this morning. Ron didn't send it to me until uh, Thursday or Friday. I can't remember which. And I didn't align my sermon to his music. God did. It, I'd already figured out what I was going to do when he sent me the, the music, and I looked at it and I said, revive us again. Oh, how that we need revival again. The church needs to be awakened, and they need to get up out of their seats and go out into the streets and tell people about Jesus. Revive us again, oh Lord, that we might glorify you once again as a church. Standing on the promises... 
God had given us every promise that we need so that we don't have to say, but I don't know how to share my, but I don't know, but they may say no. Stand on the promises. Stand on the promise that God says, just be faithful and I'll do the saving. You just be faithful and I'll do the convicting. You just be faithful and I will go before you and I will come after you and I will bring them in. You just be faithful. Stand on the promises of God. You see, if we don't, if we don't get to work soon, the harvest is going to be too late. There must always be a sense of urgency to bringing in the harvest. Farmers know that, that, that they've got to get the hay in, Dale, before it, uh, it's too late, before winter comes. Got to get the corn in before, before winter comes. We're always, as farmers, we're always saying, I got to be ready for the harvest when it comes in. I got to be ready to get my job done when it's ready. Church, we need to recognize that God has given us that analogy so that we won't be asleep at the wheel. But we'll be watching and say, Lord, we're ready to go when you need us to go. We must always have a sense of urgency about bringing in the harvest. Of the over 7 billion people in the world, it's estimated that over 30 million people worldwide will die this year without knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior because no one has went to tell them. It is said that with over 300 million in our population in America, that it is estimated that 41% of the people are radically unchurched. Now, why did I use that phrase? Because here's what that means. They don't go to church for anything. They don't go at Easter. Now, we, have, we all have those E and C or C and E Christians. You know, they, they come at Christmas and Easter. Or they come at funerals or weddings. But these particular people, this 41%, don't darken the doors of the church, not for Christmas, not for Easter, not for a funeral. If you're having your funeral at church, I'm not coming. If you're having your wedding at church, I'm not coming. I can't go in that place. 41% of 300 plus million people. You do the math. That's a lot of people. They don't darken the doors of a church, ever. They're living in a dark world, and they need the light of Christ. And if they were to die today, they would go to eternity, an eternal punishment forever and ever and ever, because they didn't know Jesus. There must always be a sense of urgency and bringing in the harvest. The old preacher Vance Havner used to say, the tragedy of our time is the situation is desperate, but the saints aren't. We're living in desperate times, and desperate times demands actions. We're living in a time and a day when it is, it is said that there are senseless murders that are up by, in some places, over 400%. And where once things that were illegal to do are now legal to do, 
Because we've turned our eyes away from sin and said, well, might as well just let them do it. Where families are falling apart and people would rather live together than to make a commitment together so that they can say, we're honoring our Father in heaven. Three weeks before President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, he made a statement. Here's what he said. Almost every president leaves the office feeling that their work is unfinished. I have a lot to do, he said, and so little time to do it. Boy, he didn't know how true his words were. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have much work to do and little time to do it in. In John's Gospel in chapter 9, in verse 4, it says that I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for night cometh when no man can work. There's a limited time that we have to do the work of the Lord. We better get at it. We must give ourselves to his work. The times demand urgent action. And we must remember, the gospel is only good news when it arrives in time. It doesn't do anybody good to hear the good news when they've already condemned themselves to hell. They've already died. We need to go out before they die and tell them without Christ, here's where you are heading. We need to be, we need to be not only concerned, but we need to see the urgency of it. And lastly, he saw the harvest as a priority. Jesus made sure that he made his life around the priority of the harvest. When given opportunity to do other things, Jesus said, my work is to do the will of the Father which sent me. Are you and I saying that today? Are you and I saying my work? is to do the will of the Father who has sent me. For he has sent you. We've all been given the Great Commission. We need to feel what Jesus feels. He was overwhelmed by his love for the people as he sees the vastness of the crowds, the perplexity of their problems, and the sense of urgency to reach them. Then Jesus says in verses 37 and 38, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers, they are truly few. Here's what he tells us to do. Pray ye therefore unto the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the field. So go out and harvest. Now, we need to understand why Jesus made this statement the way he did at this time, because he was addressing the Pharisees. And in those days, the Pharisees and the religious leaders looked at the common people, the sinful folks like you and I, 
and he looked at the, they looked at them as people like chaff. That's just burn up stuff. That's stuff you just kind of heat yourself with. It, they're not worth, it's not worth saving. It's not worth wasting your time for. You see, when, when, when you're harvesting the wheat, you want the wheat. You don't want the chaff. The chaff, you don't, you know, you're not going to eat that. You want the wheat. That's what makes the grain, makes the flour. You see, they looked at the people and said, Jesus, you're focusing on the wrong people. Those folks are sinners. Those folks are, they're not, they're not religious. Jesus, they're lost. Yep. Jesus said, uh, yep, you got it. I didn't come to seek and to save those that are well. I came to seek and save those that are lost. You don't send a well man to a doctor. You send a sick man to a doctor. You don't send a savior for those that think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. And Jesus wanted the, the, the Pharisees to realize what you think is, is useless, I'm willing to die for. What you think is, is of no good, I'm willing to give my life for. Herein lies one of the great truths of the Christian faith. The harvest will never be reached. We'll never reap it unless there are reapers to go out and reap. Jesus Christ needs men and women just like you to bring in His harvest. Jesus' followers today need to see people just as Jesus saw them as plenteous, precious, perplexed, and perishing. So what can we do? Let me just give you a few things that we can do before we have our closing prayer. We can take responsibility for our own field. Now what do I mean by that? Think about the people that we contact every day. Family, friends, neighbors, work associates, our peers... That is our field. We're responsible for working our field, not somebody else's. We'll never have a sense of urgency and priority until we realize that we have a responsibility for those that we know. The second thing we can do is we can pray. When we begin to see people as Jesus saw them, we will pray for the harvest. We'll pray for the salvation of the lost for the church to be the trainers of reapers, for men and women to get out of their seats and go out into the streets. We'll pray for workers and laborers, which we are to be one. We'll seek God for servers and, and, and for witnesses, but we must do more than just simply pray. I was thinking, Gina, something that uh, Ray Mitten used to say to me, now, preacher, you, 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 you done praying? Yep, done praying. Well, then get up and put feet to your prayer. You see, the reality is that we can pray, Lord, send forth harvesters, send forth workers. But if we don't recognize that he's calling us and get up and go do it, then we've done nothing worthwhile in our prayer. See, we need to realize that we need to go. We need to see people as Jesus saw them. We can't bring in the harvest without first going out into the field where the harvest is. Our job is not to save the harvest. That's God's job. 
Our job is to tell people about what the Lord of the harvest is doing for them. The gospel begins with a message, go. And without going, there'll be no knowing. And if we don't go, who will? Then we can share our story. I did the thoughts for the day on the radio here a few weeks ago, and one of the, I guess the whole week, I kind of focused on sharing our story, talking about Jesus in front of people. And I made one of those statements, and I'll make it today. But before we do that, the great sin of the church is the sin of silence. I've heard people over the years say to me, well, preacher, I'll just let my life be my witness. I've only got one question for you. How's that going for you? How many people have come to Jesus just by watching your life? Don't work for me. Now, listen, let me just remind you that, that, that our life needs to match our words, but if we're just depending upon our life without the words, we're missing half the battle. They got to know what we're living and why we're living it. They got to know what Jesus means to us so they understand why we're living the way we're living. We have to take the Great Commission seriously. Unfortunately for too many, the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. A subtle false teaching says that we can be evangel uh, evangelical without being evangelist, or even uh, without being uh, evangelistic. It can't be. It, ha it has to be. The church has to be out sharing the gospel. The church must go rather than just come to church, we must go to the world. We all have a God story. This is what I said in those devotions. We all have a God story that which you are the, have the only PhD on. Meaning your story is something that you are an expert on, nobody else is. And you can share your story with somebody else in such a way that there is no way they can argue with you. Because it's your story. So we need to be sharing our story as if their life depends on it. By the way, it does. So let me close. Would you say there are so many people, preacher? I mean, even in Ash County, 60% of 27,000, that's a lot of people. The harvest is truly vast. The needs are overwhelming. What can you do? Well, I'm reminded of a story that I've used many, many times, and I wanted to just share it with you once again. It goes like this. There was an old man walking down the beach at dawn when he noticed a young man ahead of him, many yards ahead, picking up starfish and flinging them back into the sea. Catching up to the youth, he asked him, What are you doing? The answer was that as the stranded starfish would die in the morning sun if they didn't get help. But the beach goes on for miles, and there are millions of starfish on the beach. How can you, your little efforts make any difference? 
The young man looked at the starfish that he was holding in his hand as he flung it back into the waves. I don't know about them, but I just made a difference in him. See, the reality is that we can't look at the vastness of the people that are lost. Look at the one that we can touch. Look at what we can do with one. Oscar Schindler said, I could have done more. Will we say, I'm doing all I can? Or will we be honest and say, am I? Am I? Can I do more when it comes to bringing in the harvest? This time we're going to have a time of invitation and I'm going to ask that Ron and Tammy come and they've picked out an invitation hymn. And I want to just ask you today, you will come to the altar. I want you to pray. What do, you, what do I want you to pray today? Well, that's a good question. I thought about three things that I wanted you to, to focus on. First of all, pray for the harvest to be ready for the reapers when they go. Then pray for the laborers to go into the field and become reapers, which you need to be one of. Pray that God will use you because He is already calling you into His work. As they're getting ready, bow with me as we pray. Father, as we close our time and move towards an invitation, Lord, it's my prayer that, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they would know how much God loves them and know that there is a God who has given his life for them, that they can come to know you as Savior. And Lord, we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus came to live that sinless life so that he could die a sinless death so that we could have hope, that we could have forgiveness, we could stand on the promises. So, Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you, would they come this morning and just say, Preacher, would you tell me how that I can know the Savior in which you're talking about? But Lord, for those of us that know him, Lord, would you move us from our seats to our feet so that we might go out into the streets and tell others about Jesus? And so, Father, I pray that as we come to pray for the harvest this morning, for the laborers, for ourselves, would we be honest? honest before you and acknowledge that none of us are doing all that we can, that we need to be doing more, we should be doing more, and we definitely could be doing more. So Father, stir your people that they might be moved by your spirit today, even now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You would, fellas, folks. If you're here this morning, would you just stand to your feet? Maybe you need to begin your prayer there at your seat and then allow your feet to be moved to the altar this morning. Maybe there's someone that God puts in your, your mind's eye that says, I need to pray for that person. I need to pray that they will come to know Jesus. Maybe you need to simply pray, Lord, give me that same passion, that same compassion for the loss that you had. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, train me, show me. Would you come this morning as others are coming and just take that before the Lord? It doesn't matter if you're an adult, a teenager. Really what matters is that you have a heart to reach people for Christ. Just come ask the Lord.
begin that process there in your seat and then move your feet show God that you're willing to get out of your seat and out of your comfort zone and come be obedient to him